Welcome back to Blackballed. Uh, I always pick like the most hardcore instrumentals for my next guest because she's the bomb. And I'm just going to introduce her now. Her, her name is Karima Sad. Karima, what's going on? How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Good. I do. I pick the fattest beats for you because I'm just you like, do. yeah, <laughs> I'm really good. That's that's an, no problem. That's anabolic beats, by the way. I'm going to have to start plugging these uh, producers. I, I know them because um, I'm doing a midlife mixtape for my kids. <laughs> so I'm going online. And instead of like buying beats for like a grand or something, I'm like, hey, um, I'm making a midlife mixtape for my kids. Can I just use your beat on the mixtape? They're like, yeah, no problem. But I should start promoting them because they're really good producers. But um, I, I, I wanted to start off with a serious question because um, it's been like a year, like a crazy whirlwind year for you. And, and it's, it's always good to go back to sort of the beginning to sort of see um, if you're thankful to the right people. So I was just wondering if you miss Chris Sky. <laughs> he misses me. Uh, I was in his telegram chat the other day. Um, oh. Yeah, I think he took a screenshot of an image that was on Pat King's Facebook. Um, and took the opportunity to slam me a little bit. So there is some missing going on. It is one-sided. Yeah, well, that that's to be expected. It, it has been a crazy year, though. I, I've sort of noticed a decompression of late. Uh, if I look at your Twitter page, it's like not as active as it once was. Are you sort of in like a, a decompression phase? Are you kind of like just uh, in that sort of transitional place right now? Like, what are you up to? Um, I've been processing a lot of what happened um, throughout the month of February. Um, so that's part of it. Um, I, I don't think it would be sustainable to keep up the level of posting that I was doing. And, you know, there's not as much happening, right? Um, so so there's that. Um, I've gone back to my roots a little bit and I've been doing more wrestling Twitter, um, which is humbling because no one likes or engages with those posts um so <laughs> no you know I'm, I'm just trying to measure you know <laughs> keep myself grounded um but yeah like i am really hoping um you know to see something come out of uh what i was able to cover at the convoy um so i have a book project that i'm i'll plug it now since yeah, i might as well please. shameless self-promotion um so it's a kickstarter meaning there's zero risk if we don't reach our goal you're going to get your money back um, but if we do reach our goal, and we being myself and Professor um, Sankoff from Alberta, um, we are looking to write a book about convoy law um, and, and sort of take a facetious approach because all of this was rooted in deep, deep misunderstandings of the Constitution, like federalism, uh, everything, really. Um, and, and we want to try to debunk some of that. So it's on my page if people want to go check it out and if you pre-order like i say there's no risk if we don't meet our goal you get your money back and if we do meet our goal you're gonna get a rad book um so that's on the go and you know just trying to see see what i can cook up with um with what we have footage wise yeah that sounds like a great idea um here i'm gonna give you some free creative you should the cover should be like if it's called convoy law you should write that in crayon <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> that's funny so the right people will be able to be like oh i get it yeah the, i was just talking about that with um nathaniel erskine smith earlier today on this show uh about how um a lot of people had a really weird idea of what it was like to live 
under tyranny in Canada. And, and there was almost no, like there was almost like, there wasn't even a pause for irony when, when Putin started um, raining missiles down on Ukraine, like, oh, there's a tyrant. Um, but nope, nope. Justin Trudeau is still a tyrant somehow. And um, I guess I'm asking like, and this is a very broad question admittedly, but what, how do you think Canadians learned anything? Like if there was a curve, would we be on the upside or the downside of that curve? Like what's going on with us as people? Ooh, that's loaded. Um, I, I mean, it, it depends on what demographic you're talking about, right? And if, if we're focusing still on the convoy occupation people, um, no, they, they don't have a good sense of self-awareness or historical perspective. Um, and in fact, are themselves spewing what may be Russian disinformation. Um, so very, very interesting to note how dismissive they are of Ukraine. Um, this is happening just to take away attention from us. Um, there isn't really a war or Putin is going in to sort of cleanse the Ukraine of things that are, you know, from everything from like U.S. bioweapon factories to Nazism, like just sort of these really pieced together understandings of, of what's happening um, in a pretty pro-Russian way. So it maybe shed some insight into the disinformation pipeline and how that works. Um, but even setting that aside, um, it's very self-centered, this movement. Um, so I, I don't think that there's any real appreciation um, for what's happening just even outside kind of the personal bubble. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, the Russian disinformation thing is interesting because um, when it came to the United States when Trump was in office and the, all the coverage that um, was given to this idea that he was like a, a useful idiot for Russia and the P tape and like all of these things that they were talking about, like a lot of those things turned out not to be true or completely unprovable. And there were just things that people sort of believe, but those were the things that people launched their attacks on the Trump administration from. And to a large extent, a lot of these uh, pundits on like MSNBC, MSNBC and, and networks like that never really answered for that. And um, I, I know that you're careful. So are we able to like learn lessons from the way that the States uh, uh, and the media in the States handled these Russian connections? Like, are we able to come up with some sort of concrete evidence or is that world just too murky to come up with stuff like that? And it's just really easy to sort of blame a boogeyman. I think that there's a very natural tendency to want to find a bad guy. And I think that we have found a bad guy in Putin. And in part that's made possible because Putin does bad things. Right. Um, so like that's kind of one component of it. But I have been a little bit concerned about some of the rhetoric and some of the sort of posturing that happens, um, you know, with paint being thrown on like a Russian church or like this Russian artist being sort of booted from their position. And, you know, it's it, like that, I think, you know, th those are we should be very, very careful with 
human rights, civil liberties, e even and especially um, during times of war um, and sort of check ourselves because, you know, I've never voted for someone who ended up in power, um, I think. And, you know, based you know on that, right, Karima. <laughs> based on <laughs> that, you know, how do we judge citizens of a country by their leaders, right? Like, like, right. So, so I think that the sort of the over, like the, the, it's just like a lazy tendency or like a wanting to blame people and it spills over into, um, acts of discrimination, um, and kind of, again, lazy thinking where everything is attributed to a boogeyman and, and we've this, seen this is not play... this is not a pro-Russia like stance, but it's just yeah. like people need to really just slow down um, because part of how disinformation spreads is you aren't like you're reflexive about retweeting or sharing something and you haven't necessarily checked the validity of the source or you're not equipped to check the validity of the source because you don't know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then it just, it spreads like wildfire and you, you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. So everyone just needs to like calm yeah. down. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Um, I, I mean, I've been guilty of that before. I, I, uh, I, it was the, uh, two elections ago, um, when Justin Trudeau, it was the black face, the blackface election, whenever that was, um, and Justin Trudeau, I had all these sources that, um, were like staffers in Stephen Harper's government, <clears throat> all kind of like calling me or emailing me and telling me this same story. And it was the story that um, turned out to be something that either didn't happen or no one proved that it happened or whatever about the possibility that Justin Trudeau and a student may have engaged in some sort of activity and there was an NDA and all that kind of stuff. And I, I posted something. It wasn't like an article. It was, uh, I think it was just a tweet that said, you know, this is the rumor going around, but yet, as of yet, no one has any um, evidence, but this is what a lot of people are telling me, make of it what you will. And then the very next day, after speaking to Steve Pakin, um, I called him and I was like, look, I, I put this up and now I feel like an idiot. Um, I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to take it down though. I'm going to add to it and retweet it or whatever and say, you know, I think I may have been duped. Um, you know, what, what would you do? <laughs> and he goes, well, James, I, I wouldn't have put it up to begin with. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah I, I agree. Thanks Steve. Thanks, Steve. Yeah. Thank you. For the, um, does this advice come with a time machine? Cause that'd be awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. But he was right. He was so right. Like, and you know, um, I consider Steve Hagen to be kind of a friend. Like we, you know, I've interviewed him. We've had lunch. Like we're, you know, he knows me and I know him and, uh, he's kind of who I look to in a way for ethics and in, in that kind of posturing and journalism and everything. Um, sorry, I went off on a tangent there because what I really wanted to say was the whole thing about the um, Russian churches getting hit by paint and stuff. A lot of these incidences remind me of what happened to Muslims in the United States uh, after 9-11. And here. And, and here, yeah. Uh, and, and the way that you know, like if yeah, Persians were being persecuted because Americans don't know the difference between, you know, Persians and Arabs basically. Right. And, and, and now we talked about this a little bit off air. Um, I'll say the most controversial parts if you want, but I kind of feel like we're, we're really like, wow, I can't believe Putin is doing this because Ukrainians are white. 
Because if you really look at what Putin's doing and what George W. Bush did, I mean, Putin's like, what, six, seven percent is bad right now, right now. And and I don't think anyone wants to talk about that. At all. No, it's very uncomfortable to look at oneself in a mirror, right? And and Canada participated not in Iraq, but in Afghanistan, right? And like, what came of that? And, yeah. you know, so uh, undeniably, that's part of it. We've heard straight from various horses mouth that that's part of it. Um, you know, and, and just the mask slips a little bit. And it's like, yeah, this is disturbing, because we're seeing people who look like us. And, and okay, that's, you know, a loaded statement. Um, and even thinking about like international students in the Ukraine and some of the difficulties that they've had either exiting or receiving sort of any kind of support and compared to if a crisis strikes in the global south, the first people out the door are usually the expats. So we're seeing a total reversal of that where who's at the back of the line? Oh, these foreign students, right? And that's just not the usual. And I'm not saying the usual MO is necessarily, you know, everyone wants to get out. Um, but like, there's pretty clear, just hypocrisy, I think, in this. And, you know, maybe would be great if this was used as an opportunity to think about imperialism in all its forms and how we resist that. And, you know, why we are supportive of Ukrainians defending their homeland, which I think, you know, sovereignty, like it's all of these very big questions, but why don't we feel the same way when the people defending their homeland don't happen to be white Christians? Yeah, I mean, I guess there are some differences, like 9-11 happened, and so they went and attacked the country that harbored the terrorists that attacked them. Um, this is like this is pure colonialism, isn't it? Like they are well, trying to- what did to... Iraq really have to do with 9-11? Oh, I was talking about Afghanistan. Sorry, did right. I say Iraq? No, you didn't, but, oh. but they, they happened simultaneously and it was under the guise of, you know, well, we got yeah. attacked, so we need to, you know, respond. Yeah, Iraq, and... was, Iraq was two years after Afghanistan. It was 2003. Um, and, and, and I was talking about this with other people too. Like it's also the protests that I went to, the, the one- giant protest that I went to um, in Toronto. <clears throat> it was one of those protests, I think it was March 3rd or something, um, 2003. And it was the one where everyone in the world had a protest at the same time. And I went to the Toronto one and it was a million people. And uh, I've talked about this a few times about the difference between protest, that protest and any other protest I've ever gone to since then, including the G20 protest in 2010, might've been 11. Um, the 2003 Iraq protests, there were like libertarians and liberals and progressives and communists and everybody that you can think of. There were gay groups, there were atheists, and, and everyone got along. We were all there sort of like under this umbrella of no war in Iraq. And it was easy messaging. It was very easy to get along with people that were there. We were all there for one reason. Um, the, 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 and, and if you contrast that to the convoy protest, I mean, they didn't have like that, no war in Iraq, that succinct message. 
And it kind of made me, um, I don't know, like, like almost romanticize the protests from back then. Cause it was, people had like a, a unifying force to, to sort of like, you know, rally around. I, I don't know. I think we're, we're so divided and subdivided in our little groups now that, um, I, and, and of course this convoy was really, it was really like a, I hate Trudeau protest more than anything else. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. I didn't even know what my question is. My, my, I, my, I have this worry that we're never going to be able to get back to this sort of like place where, because I think protests like the one in the, the Iraq protest is something that sort of props up a democracy, you know? And, and right now we are seeing protests that sort of erode it. Hmm. I mean, part of it might be the disheartening impact of those million people from different walks of life not actually making a difference in terms of what subsequently happened, right? And I think that there's sort of a disillusionment that comes with that. And, you know, the I can only speak to sort of my experience, but throughout adulthood, I've never really felt that any of our political institutions have a clear sort of lever um, where you can hold politicians accountable. It's you get your promises, you make your vote, then whatever happens. And there's no real, like, there's a there's a huge disconnect. And, you know, life is getting more expensive right now, certainly, like, there are material needs that, that aren't being met. Um, and, and I think I always bring it back to housing and, you know, the way that it's affordable housing is a pipe dream in, in Canada globally. Um, and it's all of these systems that are kind of set up, propping up people who are the haves at the expense of the haves nots. So can we ever get back to what you described? In an ideal world, I think we sort of find that common ground and the most of us who are have nots, um, there is a message that that we can get behind. The convoy did not have 
any sort of coherent messaging. Um, even the points that they were trying to make didn't really, you know, weren't weren't logical um, or, or were just divorced from like how everything actually works. Um, so like, but but it, it was a populist movement, right? And And maybe what I'm talking about is also like a different form of populist movement, but something that um, because this is this is happening, you know, because of, as I see it, sort of small like individuals and small groups looking to, you know, further their own profit, advancement, whatever. Um, and it's like to hell with everyone else. And if everyone else can unite, that that seems to be the obvious solution. But yes, we are more polarized. Um, I mean, I say more polarized, what am I comparing it to? I don't know, I have my limited life experience. Um, but we are extremely polarized at this moment. And I, I don't know how we get better. Yeah, that's kind of the question of our age. Um, and I feel like we're kind of a tripartite state in that we have a far left, a far right. And then a bunch of us in the middle just kind of shrugging going, I don't know what the fuck to do. <laughs> I don't know what we're supposed to do anymore. You know, most of the people that I know land in that middle somewhere, you know, from the soft left to the soft right and everything in between. And I mean, isn't that where you want to be kind of like, and if you want, if you want progress to happen where less people get stepped on, like it's difficult for me. Like as much as I thought I was like a big lefty when I was younger, um, the true lefties were so left that I was just like, Jesus Christ take a bath <laughs> like you know what I mean there were hippies and like you know and and they um ended up becoming squeegee kids and like they were so hardcore about what they wanted but um there was no sort of like sense about them to like and I'm not just talking about the far left the far right is beyond repair I think in a lot of ways but there was no sense of sort of like trying to repair the nation as a whole it's so bad now that if aliens came down and was like hey we're aliens and we're here um, if one of those aliens said, I really like Barack Obama, then the Republicans or, or sorry, if, I, if one of the aliens said, I really like Donald Trump, then then, you know, that would be it. They're like they would choose aliens over people because they like Donald Trump. Like, that's how bad it is right now. Do you remember the stats that were there were at when, when when Trump took office? It was something like um, like 34 percent of Republicans literally thought Barack Obama was the Antichrist. Jeez. Yeah. 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 Like, how do you even talk? How do you begin that conversation with those people? You know, I, I don't know that you I, I don't I definitely don't know. Um, and some of my efforts are, are focused on spotlighting sort of that 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 group of individuals that sort of that that people who might fall into that camp. Right. Um, in a in the hopes of deterring others who are not on either side of the extreme from gravitating towards that right because at a certain point you see it and you're like oh this is mm, this is off-putting maybe I'm going to you know ease back a little bit or be more critical of what this group is feeding me because this is who else it attracts um and, and so that's why I, I do things the way I do things because I think our best shot is kind of preventing this group from gaining momentum and growing more. Um, and, you know, is that like the most effective way? I, I don't know. Um, but have I, 
have, yeah, I don't know. Have I have I asked you before if you've seen the movie The Chicago Seven? Um, I don't know if you've asked me. I haven't. Um, you haven't. Okay. I I get really. I I can't consume serious media, so I have not seen it. Okay, it's a great movie. Um, it's uh, it it's about the the activists in the '60s during the Chicago riot outside of the Democratic Convention. And um, <clears throat> um, the reason why I bring it up is because, and, and I know it was, um, it, it, obviously it's a movie, so it's exaggerated a little bit or romanticized a little bit. But if you read up on like Abby Hoffman, if you read up on like um, on the Black Panthers and you, you, you read what they actually said back then about the system and the government and what they were fighting for, you can't help but get goosebumps but you also have this, at least I did, this nagging voice inside my head going, they were fighting for something mm -hmm. and they were doing it in the right way. It's not like there's not things to fight for right now, but I don't feel like anyone does it in the right way. Like you were saying at the beginning of the podcast, like, do, do our protests mean anything anymore? Well, I, and okay, I don't know if it's to blame, if social media is to blame for this, but this idea of bullying people or harassing people as a form of activism, um, I think is, is extremely corrosive and doesn't leave room for like actual progress. It entrenches people in negative feelings. It might feel good at the time to sort of dunk on someone or dogpile them, but like it, it it's never, against people with institutional power. Um, and, and I think that it's just a form of catharsis that's really unhealthy. Um, and it's not specific, again, to any particular group. I see it happening in, in different ways. Um, although with the caveat that on the extreme right side of things, um, like we have kill lists and sort of, it gets a bit more dramatic, I think. Um, and dangerous, but it, this uh, bullying is it, activism is not bullying and vice versa. And like, there's just, it seems to be a prevailing method. I, I don't know if, if that makes sense. No, it, it, it does. I feel like we haven't, I think we've lost the spirit of what it means to actually demonstrate. Like instead of, instead of sort of embodying this idea of the heart of the issue that you're there to fight for. I, I feel like we're a lot of people are in it for themselves. They want to just be seen as the person that's there to fight for something rather than just be there to fight for something. Right. Cause mm -hmm. you know, th there was no, I, yeah, maybe you're right. Like the, I feel, maybe the internet killed protesting. It was good to like get people aware of something, but to mobilize them with a universal intent. I, I don't know. I think those days might be over. And plus, I don't know how like, people call themselves revolutionaries these days. Like, I don't know what a revolution there, what a revolution looks like anymore, you know? Cause like, who's going to defeat state power now? Like we're, we're fucked. <laughs> okay. We're fucked everybody. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to, yeah. On a, on a high note. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. And, and to your point, like, and I get criticized for this quite a bit, right? Because I, am in my own footage sometimes or like part of a story and it's you're self-centered and you're, you know, just self-aggrandizing and this isn't about a cause. This is about your own brand. And, you know, it's, 
I, I don't really know how to respond to that. But at the same time, it's probably true that, you know, Re revolution will not be televised. It's like live streamed by everyone who's the star of their yeah. own show. Right. So yeah. like, where then is there any kind of larger or broader meaning to it? And, and maybe that's what's missing. Um, and, and again, like, how do we snap out of that? I, I don't have the answer to that. And am I guilty yeah, I of it as well? Maybe. I, I'm probably guilty of it as well. Although some people are a little confused because they think I named it black bald because I'm bald. And I'm like, guys, I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> like, you know, I am not <laughs> bald in the sense that I roll down places, but okay, we'll, we'll go with that for now. Um, but I, you know, I think if we're, if we're all like the, the day, the affordable daycare thing, let's just take an issue. I don't think you protest for affordable daycare. And if you do, you have to be super creative so that the news media covers it. Right. Like, like it's one of those things where like, I think a protest would be, it would be an interesting protest to see people who would be like, okay, we want minority parliaments to actually work like coalition governments and we want them to get things done. And we have a list and they span the spectrum. Go get it done. Like, Israel is not like um, a country that I would ever emulate their political kind of, you know, um, activities after. But the one thing that I think that they do right, um, aside from the religious extremist parties, is that when they form a government, it's always a coalition government of multi parties. Right. And so so just taking that aspect of it and putting it in Canada, we, we don't do that. What we see is we see a mar minority parliament led by Justin Trudeau. And we see signals from behind the scenes that show that Jagmeet Singh is trying to get a deal done and then he'll vote um, with the government on this or that. And then the conservatives will always vote against. And that's it. That's what the parliament does until the next election. Yeah. I, I don't, we're not being governed really when we do that. We have spokespeople that are, that are saying things to us and hopefully we get something that changes our lives for the better. But yeah, I have a hard time seeing... Um, Canada as as this bastion of, of democracy when it comes to demonstrations and protests. I don't think we know what we're doing anymore. I think we've lost the plot. I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, they're. I, I, yeah, the most kind of intense and inspiring protests are are probably not getting the coverage that's due. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, out west with sort of the the land defenders or resistance against pipelines and where we have our CMP arresting journalists um, who are trying to cover that. And so I, I think that we're not actually getting like a full proper view of, of everything that's happening. And I think that there are meaningful protests that are being done, quote unquote, right um, or correctly. But you know, on the whole, and the entire sort of protest landscape has just been lowered um, over the past two years by the ongoing weekly anti-mask, anti-lockdown, anti-vax, anti-there are no more mandates, but we're still going to protest anyway. Like, that's just cheapened, I think, um, mm -hmm. the act of protest. Yeah, you know, the... Um... And, and we'll we'll end it in a couple minutes here, but the uh, the G20 protest that I went to, I think it was 2010, um, in Toronto, was was 
really eye-opening for me because um, the state had decided that um, Homeland Security from the United States would come in and the FBI would come in and work together with the RCMP and with CSIS and with the Toronto police. And it was a pol- it was legitimately a police state um, in downtown Toronto from like Bathurst to like all the way over to Jarvis <laughs> from say college all the way to the lake. Like it was, there were uh, <clears throat> steel fences erected. There were um, paddy wagons everywhere. There were, co- of course, I loved it because um, <clears throat> I got into the zone, and uh, I had my camera. and And these cops were in front of the convention center, and they're like, and I and I just tried to walk sort of past them. And they're like, "Hey, where are you going?" I'm like, "I'm just gonna go to the convention center." They're like, you "Can't go there. It's no go zone. Go back that way." And I'm like, "Okay." And so then I went around and I found a door open <laughs> in. Uh, in uh, Union Station, and I climbed up to the roof of the convention center, and then I took a picture of the cops that told me I couldn't go to the convention center. <laughs> and then I walked back around, and I'm like, "You guys want to see my pictures?" <laughs> and they're like, "Sure." And I'm like, "I'm like, that's you guys." They're like, "Yeah, yeah, great, move along." And and I was like, "This is really interesting. The fact that we're such a l- hardcore police state." But then you got like you know Gilligan here telling me that I can't go somewhere, and then I take a picture from the place that he said I couldn't go to, and he just doesn't have any idea. So the, the, what I'm, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the police state kind of impression that they tried to make was like, it was just surface. It was like smoke and mirrors almost. They, do, they wanted it to appear like something. They, they arrested a whole bunch of people for no reason, didn't charge any of them, like a thousand people. Um, you know, state power is interesting like that because I think um, just, like pro, just like the individual protester, it's a lot about themselves and how they want to big up themselves. And I think there's like a similar parallel there because um, as far as the police state went, it was like for show. They wanted to show their toys so that the next protest maybe would be, you know, less populated. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I don't It's not a question. But yeah, like it's, it, it was just like. <laughs> no, that's yeah, you know, funny. Like, it, it is uh, like generational protest difference. So it's like Iraq 2003 was like unity. Um, 2010 for G20 was like all about the state showing their dicks. And then this one was just like people thinking that they could overthrow the government because they said so. Right. Like we are not heading in the right direction. I don't think. Always a good note to. Yeah. Okay. We're all going to die. We're all dead. (laughs) (laughs) This. Yeah. No. Imagine if this was purgatory. Um, (sighs) That means there's a hell? There's something worse than this? Really? Um, I suppose, Shit. by implication, yeah. Imagine this was heaven? Yeah, that's right. We're all going <laughs> to die, Karima. We're all going to die, Karima. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> no, that was good to have you. Um, I'm going to watch your wrestling posts, and I'm going to comment on them now that I know that you're. That you. that's where your mind is right now. I was going to post a Triple H versus Test, because God rest his soul. I don't believe in God, but whatever. Um, he, I went to high school with him, and he was a pretty dope wrestler. I think Triple H is your favorite, right? No, Chris Jericho is oh. my favorite. Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho. And, like, tri- tri- Triple H is, you know, he's got his like his credit. A lot of respect for him. Um, but I'm I'm a Jericho fan. You should be a wrestling like color commentator. That'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? I would love that. I'm okay. I you know just I gave Shane McMahon my business card once actually. Um, oh really? Yes, I. They were here for I think SummerSlam. Um, I forget the event. And then I went over to the hotel that they were staying at. And then 
I wasn't the only one. Like there's a bunch of lunatics like us um, who just creep around the lobby and like, you know, hang out at the bar and I got to shake Rick Flair's hand. And then, yeah, when Shane oh. McMahon came in, I Woo! gave him a business card. He was really polite, actually. He put it in his wallet like it mattered. But, oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. It was very nice. But he never called you. Well, that's good. well, listen. Um, <laughs> the one thing I'm not worried. <laughs> the one thing I'm not worried about with you is 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 finding something to do. Um, I hope I wish you all the success with your book, and we'll 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 talk soon. I appreciate Thanks, you coming. James. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. That that is Kareem Assad, and uh, I I love having her on. That was a little bit of a disjointed thing. That's my fault. It was like last minute. I was like, Kareem, you want to do the podcast? She's like, okay. Um, and then I was like, we'll talk a lot about Russia. She's like, I don't want to talk about Russia. I was like, oh shit. Um, <clears throat> no, it's good having her on though. I, I, I really respect the work that she does. I'm looking forward to seeing that book. Uh, and, uh, we will be back on Monday. Oh, I have a surprise guest on Monday that I'm going to announce on Sunday night. So, uh, stay tuned for that. And thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. Do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. <laughs>